Buried is produced and distributed by KETR.org and is presented uninterrupted thanks to the support of its fans and listeners. Become a supporter today when you visit KETR.org and click donate. If you listened to the last episode, you know I skipped ahead a week or so to talk about a different missing person, Sarah Elizabeth Kinslow. I've tried to tell this story more or less in order, mainly for my own sanity. There's too much going on to skip around. But that's sort of what I did between this episode and the last one. The events you're about to hear occurred before the ones in episode 9. If you switch episode 9 and 10, the rest of the story is back in order. But I switched them because I wanted you to hear about Sarah Kinslow's many connections to Lake Tawakonee's Waco Bay first. Otherwise, I didn't think what you're about to hear would make much sense. Actually, I didn't think what you're about to hear would make you care about a supposed body that a man named Mike Garris claimed to have seen 13 years ago in the same neighborhood where Carrie Mae Parker's family lived. The fact that this supposed body was supposedly seen on the same street where Sarah Kinslow's ex-boyfriend was staying in 2001, and where Sarah's parents already believed she might be buried, got my attention. I figured it would grab your attention, too. But before we knew any of this, it was Carrie's sister, Patricia, whose mind jumped to Sarah when I told her about meeting Mike. I didn't know who Sarah was when I heard about the body. But one morning, about a week after meeting Mike, and a week before meeting Sarah's parents, I found myself in Carrie Mae Parker's sister's truck as she drove east, toward her least favorite place on earth, Hunt County. Yeah. Patricia made a call early on to Glenn, her older brother. Oh, okay. Patricia then explained that she hadn't entirely filled Glenn in on the plan. He was under the impression his sister wanted to spend some time with him, whereas I thought Glenn had offered up his home as a sort of headquarters for our fact-finding mission. So, Glenn and I woke up that morning expecting very different days. Patricia was in the driver's seat. We were just along for the ride. So Glenn never made it. I mean, what do these people think this body is? I have no idea. I'd like to know I would love to see that conversation. Back at my desk in Dallas, there's a wall calendar that flips back to 2016. It shows which story I was on during any given week since I began working for the public radio station that produces this podcast. If you flip back to the final days of spring 2017, there's a note about an initial interview for a story about a missing woman in the Lake Tawakoni area. A firefighter had disappeared from the same place two months earlier, and attention was being paid to other missing cases in the county. It was going to be a three-minute and 40-second news story for the Northeast Texas broadcasts of NPR's Morning Edition and All Things Considered. According to that calendar, I've been reporting that story for something like 525 days. This episode is about one of them. KETR Public Radio in Northeast Texas. This is Buried, an investigative series and podcast about the 1991 disappearance of Carrie Mae Parker and about what I learned but didn't find on July 5th, 2017.
Patricia drove me through Terrell, Texas, the town where Carrie's family lived before moving to the Quinlan area in October 1983. On that day, Carrie's parents moved her and her siblings to Waco Bay. Not a lot to see. No. Not a lot to see at all. During the move, Carrie got pinned between a vehicle and a wall, fracturing her pelvis. I'm not sure if anybody in the family believes in omens. It was a dark initiation to the neighborhood. Also, it was Halloween day. Carrie's aunt ended up having to drive her to the Methodist Hospital in Dallas, about an hour west. But back in Terrell that day with Patricia, we drove past a large warehouse near the railroad tracks. This is the place where Carrie worked at a filter factory called Flanders Precision Air. According to Carrie's father, Howard, this is the last place she was ever seen, at work in Terrell on March 17, 1991. Try to hold that in your head until the end of this episode. We're going to hear from somebody who claims to have spoken to someone at the factory about Carrie's disappearance, and it's links to other possible missing cases. Last place someone's seen, like, might just uh, no. give it a little energy. Well, what I should have done is left her a picture. That was stupid not to. Yeah. Right, maybe I can email her or something. Yeah, I have her email address somewhere. She said her mom worked there when it was a filter company. Her mom would probably know where to end. Yeah. The only problem is her mom only speaks Spanish, and so there's half of the other people there, she said. It's interesting to know, though, that there are places outside of that place still has the same people in it. Maybe. Yeah, it so, is weird because that place, when the place burned down I mean it was gone for a long long time and now all of a sudden you you got a building here and now you maybe they transferred them to somewhere, somewhere else, else for a while yeah, yeah maybe that makes came sense actually from the factory Patricia took the same road Carrie would have taken heading north to Quinlan or back south to work deep quarries dot the landscape close to the road in certain areas but Carrie would have no reason to pull into a cemetery on the west side of that road. That's where her father would later purchase grave plots for the family. He would also claim that these spots were reserved for children he believed were at risk from the same people who harmed Carrie. Did you see my dad digging somewhere out here? It's <laughs> not too crowded, I guess. You can't really see anybody digging a grave with a shovel, though. Records show he bought the plots at separate times in the 1990s. Today, a headstone placed by Carrie's family marks an empty grave. It's a striking one, dark stone and polished. It reads, Carrie Mae Parker, May 12th, 1967. March 17th, 1991. Missing, but we will find you in heaven. The plot is next to Carrie's parents' tombstones. This is the same place I mentioned in episode seven that Hunt County detectives theorizes where Carrie was buried. Patricia and I stood looking at them as cars loudly sped by in the background. It was hard to picture that scenario. He bought these uh, plots before, like the month before uh, she passed away. So in March, he bought one for him and one for her. And then there's Carrie. And then later he bought the other three? Yes. 97, 97, yeah. Carrie's parents' graves are more plain. Her dad was in the army, so his is a traditional military headstone. There was a flag poking into the ground next to it the last time I was there. Carrie's mom, Elizabeth, looks nice to me, but Patricia says there used to be a vase attached to it that isn't there any longer. It's apparently a point of contention between her and the cemetery. Still, I felt a sense of correctness seeing Carrie's tombstone next to her parents. But unlike them, she's nowhere near here. Actually, I have a real camera in there I should pull out. I rarely bring a camera anywhere because I need two hands to deal with microphones, but I realized while looking at the scene that I was traveling that day with a real camera. 
After making sure Patricia didn't mind, I took photos of her parents and Carrie's headstones. My producer later sent an actual professional to photograph the cemetery. The photos are striking. Anyway, it was a fitting start to a day spent searching for a grave in the middle of the forest, and it solidified in my mind how important it is for people to know where their loved ones are, even if they're dead. Get their own area. Yeah. It was also a reminder of how low the bar is for success in the world of the missing. Everyone's best case scenario is putting Carrie here, under a shiny rock. I don't disagree, either with that or the assumption that she's dead. I guess what I'm just thinking is, like, are we going to actually find a body in like an hour? Or... And what's the protocol if we do? Well, I was going to... Yeah, you know, we thought it said that yesterday. What? It's funny you should mention that. I told my uh, daughter, I said, yeah, I want to go skull hunting tomorrow. She, <laughs> oh, she turned she her does? husband sitting there like, huh? <laughs> you know, like, what the did you just say? Yeah. And uh, I said, well, you know, there's supposed to be a body buried out there somewhere, so I'm going hunting. <laughs> How do they know it's a body for sure, though? I don't know. I never found a body in the woods ever. too you know there is a reason to see Mike Garris because I want to hear him say to you the police never came to my house yeah I'd like to uh, in front of, in front of uh, Elizabeth yeah because <sighs> what's that about I know his hearing isn't great and I know I mumble and you know not the best being heard but I... on the way into Quinlan Patricia pointed out landmarks from the teenage years on Lake Tawakoni Locales like Knee Deep, Freak Beach, Hippie Hole. Freak Beach. <laughs> That's a funny name. <laughs> I can't say Patricia never took me anywhere nice. She's not a fan of the place and almost never comes out here. Please help keep Lake Tawakini beautiful. <laughs> Shortly after we crossed a bridge toward Waco Bay, one sign in particular caught her eye. There's your good old hot cove, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, it even has a little sign. Yeah. <laughs> You know that uh, Janice, uh, yeah. she thought that this party was at the Wagon Wheel Hotel. It's just maybe mixing stuff up, I wonder. I've never heard of it being at the Wagon Wheel. I know that Glenn ran into Cody at the Wagon Wheel. He yeah. tried to hide himself. Yeah, yeah. That's a crazy story. Somebody in her circle knows. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just the next turn, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I did, maybe I did turn it. Oh. So we're on now what they call bass, was it? Bass. Yeah. Bass drive, I think. This deserves a quick explanation. Hanging from Patricia's rearview mirror, there's a necklace with a sort of name tag shaped missing person poster with Carrie's name on it. Every time we hit rough terrain, which happened every other minute this day, seemingly, the tag would slam against the windshield. You can use that sound to gauge the roads we're on. The loudest clangs signal our arrival in Waco Bay, the area where Carrie's parents lived. It was here that Sarah Kinslow's parents believed she was spending time with a young man who was later convicted of aggravated sexual assault of a minor. 
That's why Sarah's mom tracked me down as soon as she heard I'd spoken to someone about a body in Waco Bay. I of course had no information that would have connected it to Sarah, but I understood her interest. Yeah, I forgot all about that Sarah Kinsley. I never, I went to look, look, up, look that girl up. I didn't, I never seen her. They say your boyfriend lives back here, is that what you say? Yes. Man. Oh, that looks like a trail. Yeah. And he, one other thing he mentioned too is he remembered it being like an open area too once you were inside, I think. Mm. Like maybe not so many trees or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it was vague, I mean, you know. But one thing I noticed for sure is that he seemed surprised that he couldn't find it. It's weird to me that you'd never oh meet. Oh my God. What? That's where my dad's house used to be. I know, it doesn't look good, does it? No. We drove past the overgrown lot that used to be her home, and then around the corner of Mike Garris's property down a short road where a man named Bob Arnett once lived. His property connects to Mike's and it's heavily wooded. In fact, it was so dense that we noticed evidence someone had been on the property recently enough to have pushed the grass aside. See, what, that's where my dad lives, so when he said he ran them into the bushes, I'd be thinking maybe going one down in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It makes sense on the map. I see why you would think that. It's just not where Mike took me. Does anybody live back there now? I don't think so. I thought maybe his son did, but... By the looks of things, don't know where they live here. Yeah. Might have to sneak off down in there. Yeah, maybe. Jeez. Look at a haunted house. It's a long trailer. Long. Yeah, it is. Look, somebody been walking up in there. The grass is beat down. Yeah. Or driven down or something. But like two right here. Yeah, you're right. He likes me to look at him. He's so proud of his stuff now. You know, he just want to be having it nice and clean for me. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Keep out. Glenn lives around the corner. He was running a lawnmower when we got there. I thought it was sweet that he wanted to clean up for Patricia's visit. He and Patricia seem to have the closest relationship of any of Carrie's siblings. Patricia recently re-entered Glenn's life after he gave up on drugs. She helps him out with bills and generally appears to be supportive. Everyone seems to be on good terms with Glenn, though. He's the only one of Carrie's immediate family members who have never heard say a negative thing about someone else. How's it going? Oh, Lord. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> how you doing? I'm good, how are you? Doing fine. I said, dang, I get here, you don't start jumping on the lawnmower, you finna <laughs> work? I've been working. I like your shit. I didn't branch off you. my truck and wash off my shed, put water in it my, for my dogs and my birds and watered the plants and 
Karen cleaned the poor cow. What? They bore me out yesterday, man. I cooked for what? Twelve people, fifteen people. Damn! I hope they chimed in. Oh, they brought stuff. Yes, I was tired. Did they went, huh? Nodding off. We had people bring glasses, ice, drinks, paper plates, forks. Oh y'all, y'all the bomb now, ain't you? Come here and look. then uh. <laughs> Card, money card, How are you doing? How you doing? Good. Card, so I can good. Keeping out of trouble. Mom and Dad's After giving Patricia a quick tour of his place and some of the recent work done to it, we decided to get into Glenn's truck to drive to a spot in the forest where Mike had tried to take me to see a body. Glenn was happy to drive us there, but he wasn't particularly interested in the body. That's because he believes he knows where Carrie is buried on the other side of the bay, at the spot that used to be Cody's parents' property. He points out that his dad told him about Carrie being afraid of a hole Cody was digging. And then years later, Cody's ex-girlfriend Stacy says the exact same thing, and then takes him there. By the end of this day, all of us would be at Cody's place, looking at that spot. But first, we spent the morning looking for the infamous spot Mike claims a grave is hidden. So uh, when did you first hear about this skull and all? That's something that Mike's talking about. He said there was a grave right down the road. I don't even know where the grave is. Supposedly, it's supposed to show to him last time he was down. We didn't well, find they it. didn't find it. He, he, I guess he forgot where stuff was or something. So we got some trails to go. <laughs> That's something I ain't never. Did you flip out or anything when you first came? No. What? I know where Terry is. I always worried about it. You over can there. send the front seat, Patty. Walk in the back. I guess I was having trouble processing the idea of somebody knowing about a body. So I continuously tried to clarify if they were talking about a regular grave, like the ones in the cemetery. I mean, who knows? Families sometimes have little areas for buried loved ones. At the house where I grew up, we buried a dog and God knows how many hamsters in the spot next to our back gate. But that's not what they say is here. Mike's the one that's seen every scenic or claim it's there. Yeah. But did he say grave? It looked like about six foot long and yeah. mounted up, but you know, like that. But no, like headstone or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Not a big cross sticking out of the ground. Flowers. <laughs> 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 Face. <laughs> Maybe that's I'm what missing base. When somebody's burying somebody out there, I don't think they really want to advertise. Right. Well, that's right. my point. That's what I'm trying to be clear about. Yeah, I would think not. 
Slow down, just a little bit. Right there is a trail. We just went past I had no slightest idea where Mike's talking about. Telling me about it and showing it to me is a different show. Apparently around here you gotta you only find out about bodies if someone asks you explicitly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know where any bodies? Oh yes. No, actually he volunteered the information. I wasn't That's true. even talking That's about true. it. That's true. That's true. Don't you know it's a dead body, right? What? Yeah, there's a grave right in the up in here somewhere. I don't know if it's this one or the next one because it's all sections. Well, it's got to be somewhere where we're not a lot of people noticed for 30 yeah. years. Clothes, yeah. Huh? Just clothes. Old ones. Since you know this episode is made up of recordings made before the last one, you already know we never found a body in Waco Bay. So I'm not going to build up any of our dozen or so spotting of things that looked a lot like maybe what a body looks like after 13 years. Moments like this one. And all kinds of interesting stuff over here. There's another kind of mound over here too. Anyway, that happened a lot, but it was sort of the blind leading the blind. I, someone who's only been to the area twice, was trying to take people who were from there to a spot I never actually found. Who we really needed was Mike Garris, the man who told Glenn and I about the body in the first place. But we couldn't reach him all morning, and we eventually started drifting backward toward the air conditioning at Glenn's place down the road. Let's go cool off a minute and get us something fresh to drink. Come what on, was cruise. It? What was it saying? Something in here to eat. Tell what the boys out, darling. Yo, get! Why did I? Feels nice in here. Come on, get out!
The music on Glenn's slick audio setup matched the intensity in my head. But we were just sitting around drinking iced tea, trying to figure out what to do next. Karen did her best to keep us hydrated, but she didn't really know what else to offer. She and Glenn haven't been together for longer than a few years, and she isn't as familiar with the various theories about Carrie. Plus, Glenn doesn't bother with many of them except one, Cody's property. The truth is that to Glenn and Patricia, Cody is the only game in town. We were always going to go to Cody's property, whether we knew it or not. I knew I would eventually have to speak to Cody, and he moved out of the Quinlan area years ago. He isn't a very easy person to find, and I didn't try hard to reach him for another month or so. But on that day, Patricia and I wanted to find somebody closer. Ricky Moreland, the supposed sole survivor of the incident Howard told his family about. The short version is that shortly after Carrie went missing, he received threatening phone calls in the middle of the night urging him to stop searching for his daughter. Then, he would later claim, those same men came to his house when Carrie's children Brandy and Brian were at school. Depending on whose version you believe, if you believe any of them, Howard killed at least one person and buried him on a property across the street that belonged to a man named Carl Garris, who went by Shorty. That man's son is Mike Garris, the one who lives on the property now and claims to have seen a body nearby. Ricky lives in the Quinlan area, and Patricia says she spoke to him once. She told me that Ricky had admitted to visiting Howard shortly after Carrie disappeared. She says he also admitted to threatening Howard, which is eerily similar to Howard's version of events. She even thinks Ricky and her dad described the same car. And, she says, Ricky slipped up and admitted that he wasn't alone. In other words, Ricky confirmed the core details of Howard's story. Naturally, I wanted to hear all this from him, preferably on tape. After a morning full of skull hunting, we were getting pretty hungry, so everyone piled into Patricia's truck and drove into Quinlan proper. We settled on Italian. <laughs> Hello. How many are you? Four? Four. I listened as Patricia and Glenn went back and forth about their interactions with people around Carrie in the 1990s and now. Right. And tell you. Well, Stacey I know was in here, so she's gonna say it out. Yeah, but what I'm saying well, is, if someone told her, you know, Cody runs his mouth. I'm listening. Someone told her when she got out, because she started asking where Carrie was. She was in prison when Carrie went missing. Mm-hmm. Let's see what she told you. What she told me. Three different things. She, she, don't know where she was in Parker jail. Is. She's right there. She was in prison when she wrote me the letter. She's not going to come right out and say, she's right, right there. She went around the corner about it. But it's still the same story that you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Did you ever try to see her after? Mm-mm. 
Hell no, I started getting scared. Look, look who she's uh -huh. friends with. Judy Moreland. Ricky Moreland. Who's this? Stacy. Why does she have so many Ricky Morelands? Because he has like 10 accounts. We were scouring Ricky's multiple Facebook profiles for any indication about how to reach him. Patricia tried messaging him, but didn't receive a response. Throughout the day, I checked if he had said anything, but the answer was always the same. No response. It was starting to seem like the key people we needed to answer questions. Ricky Morland and Mike Garris were in hiding somewhere, aware that Carrie's sister was on the hunt for them. If you ever go to lunch with Glenn and Patricia and run out of stuff to talk about, it's just a matter of time before the conversation turns to Cody. And that's what continued to happen throughout our search for Mike and Ricky. As we left the restaurant, Glenn acknowledged what we already knew. Next stop, Cody's place. Not good in jail. You are. <laughs> it was just around the corner. There's not much Glenn and Patricia disagree on fundamentally, but this is an exception. Well, they agree in general that Carrie is likely connected to the area around the property or on the property itself. The exception is that they disagree strongly on the precise spot on the property where her body is likely to be located. All right, Marvin. What you gonna do? You gonna pull right past the strip yard? If you listen through enough of their arguments, they both actually start making sense, and I found myself merging their versions into a single theory, which means that the three of us all agree and disagree with each other at once. But I'll do my best to explain each person's view. Yeah, but didn't you find out that this too is... No, this belonged to somebody else. So why do we think she's in there? I don't know why he thinks that. He said that this place is on the map, but I don't think so, because I don't have the map with me, but when you look at it... At his house, he has it. It's, it's different. Coffee. If you stand on Main Street facing south, the property that was once Cody's family's is vertical and rectangular in shape. But I thought that they... this didn't used to be a fence, right? This, that's what I'm looking at right there. There used to be, like that fence is new-ish. Yeah. It's like from like, what, 2012, something like that? Yeah. There's a fence that goes around the west, south, and east sides. The front is usually open to the road, but there is a gate. That's because it's a recycling plant now. So trucks need to be able to drive in and out of it for weighing. Right here. And just, since you put that stuff out in the pipers and stuff like that, all of a sudden they come up here and covered this, and there was another spot that fence wasn't there. Property bordering the former septic company is on the west side, which is your right if you're facing south from the road. Right about there, with a mound there. It's basically an empty lot with this oddly towering mound of soil. And you come out with that paper, all of a sudden that mound disappears. But according to the map, this is it. I don't think so. Yes, I'll show you. Okay, when we get home. Tell me when we get home, but I'm gonna walk on back out here. I mean, it's true that the arrow pointed to the to the back right corner, right? Mm -hmm. Like the opposite of where the pond is in there. It is also used to store large stacks of wooden poles and cement blocks. Glenn is convinced that this is the spot Stacy identified that day when he gave her a ride. For the record, neither Glenn nor Patricia trespassed onto Cody's family's former property, as far as I know. They only walked up to the side of the western fence. But it seemed like Glenn knew something we didn't. There's this, oh, I don't know, car-sized indention in the ground right on the fence line. 
you'd never be able to notice it from the road due to the grass. But Glenn sees an obvious connection to this indention in the mound of dirt. He's been following changes to the property in person for at least the past 15 years or so. And I have to admit, it's weird how the ground just drops right there for no apparent reason. To Glenn, it's a telltale sign of a buried car's decay over three decades. Eventually, the weight of the earth will brush the metal and fill the interior. As a result, the rectangle the size of a car will sink into the ground. That could could possibly be a spot too, but according to the map, it ain't. It's pointing there. Patricia won't hear any of this because that property wasn't owned by the Songers. That's right, isn't it, from your research? No. They would not sell this. Until this restaurant. I'm gonna go pull up Cad and I'm gonna show you Glenn. Yeah, we need to double check all of it, but I do know that Glenn's right that the arrow points on the right side of whatever the map is, which would be here rather than there. Here's the thing though. The fence that separates the former Songer property from the lot with the mound is relatively new. In fact, Glenn says it came up around the time that Carrie's case started being discussed in public for the first time, after 2010 to give you a broad time period. And it's true, satellite imagery clearly shows that a fence showed up sometime after 2010. Without that fence, it's very hard to see from the road why anyone would even notice that they weren't the same property. Hey, you can see the big concrete block just to generate that one. And that was about halfway down. And they took everything that was right there and shoved it. It's weird right that's there. there. What is that? It's easy to see both why Stacy would point at this lot, why Glenn would remember her pointing at it, and why anybody who hasn't studied the property in detail would see it as, you know, basically the same piece of land. Legally, of course, there's a very clear distinction, and that's Patricia's point. There's actually evidence that the distinction was ignored by even the owners for years. That's going to come up later. Right here. Is it concrete or wood? I mean, or uh... nothing. It's just where's the mound. You know, if you bury something, you gonna have extra dirt because you got something inside the hole so I get in the spray. Like a car. How big is it? I'm hesitant to say I believe there's a car underground right here on Main Street, hidden in plain sight. But I can't fault Glenn for believing that if there is one. This could be the spot. From that little mound right here, it was all one right there. That was just been there for since Carrie was missing, but before she was missing, that wasn't there at all. Mm-hmm. And that fence wasn't there either. When Carrie and Elmer left. That's something that's been put up recently. Yeah. Well, I ain't going to say recently. It's been there. We're here now. But, but according to Sessions, that's where they were digging that big ass giant hole. But I'm trying to figure out how does she know about the hole. She drew an arrow that, depending on your frame of reference, points to the property adjacent to the former septic company or to the bottom part next to the fence line. I can see where they're coming from, and my opinion after hearing from both of them and seeing the map is that she's describing the southeast corner of the fenced-in property. 
Stacy has agreed in the past to speak to law enforcement about her suspicions about where Carrie is buried on the property. To my knowledge, no one has ever taken her up on that offer. Patricia, on the other hand, believes the spot on the fence line at the southern part of the property is a more likely one. Satellite imagery shows that it has been sunken since at least 1995. There's almost always a small pool of water right there, but it rarely appears to fill up or dry out. To support their views, both pointed to the same map drawn by Cody's ex-girlfriend, Stacy, the one Glenn picked up and drove to the property that night. After Cody's, we headed back to Waco Bay to see if Mike was home. He wasn't, but his wife Elizabeth was there. She let us in. Glenn starts showing Patricia around the same spots as I had seen before. Mike wasn't there to open any sheds, but we checked out each of the indentions in the ground. Daddy was at the mailbox right over there. And they got after him. Well, he made it right through there. Right up to the front of the house, and I guess Shorty was out in the yard on the front porch and seeing what was going on. Daddy actually made it into the house before they got to him. In my understanding, Shorty shot one of them standing on this property with a shot across the road. I didn't realize Shorty was the one. He hit one of the guys and Daddy hit one of the other ones. And according to... All I could ever hear Daddy say was they put him in an old sister that used to be on this property. Now Mike says he don't know but nothing about no sister, but I remember Shorty mentioning it. I, Dad told you that though? Yeah, he says there's three of them. Three? Three dead ones. And they're supposed to be here somewhere. Maybe there's two dead ones and one got away. Possibility. Ricky Moreland got away. Well, I know Ricky Moreland all my life since we moved here. Well, and he just wasn't that brave of a guy straight up. Was a guy like my daddy? No. Well, that's what I'm um, no. Listen, I talked to Ricky on the phone probably a year ago. And I asked him, I said, hey, have you ever seen... Um, have you ever seen my dad? And he said, yeah, once. And I said, well, when was that? And he said, one time I, uh, right after Carrie went up missing, I went up there to his house and threatened him that if he had anything to do with Carrie's disappearance that he was going to make him pay. And he described the same car Dad did. And when I asked him, I said, um, so were you by yourself or were you, you know, with other people with you or what? Because I couldn't imagine just going up to someone's house and start acting like I'm going to kick their butt, you know what I'm saying, or threatening them by my, not knowing somebody else, if that was his first time to meet him, you know what I mean? And so he said, he said, no, it was just me. And then when he was continuing talking, he slipped up and said, we instead of I. Patricia decided she was going to ask Elizabeth about if a detective ever came over to talk to Mike. Mike denied this when I asked him, which Patricia found baffling because she had heard that investigators came to his house once after she told Hunt County about her dad's stories in 2013. I'd asked Mike the same question days earlier, and he said police hadn't been there before as far as he knew. 
With Mike gone, Patricia saw a moment to quiz Mike's wife about the police and the supposed body. She motioned for me to follow her, and I eased over, obviously bringing my microphone with me. She asked Elizabeth about the cops coming and talking to Mike. Didn't the cops come out here and ask questions once? Yeah, uh, we talked to Mike. She said sure they did. I was looking for Elizabeth, for Elizabeth and, and Mike. Well, that happens to be my wife's name. <laughs> right. And so I'm like, damn, what they all do? I didn't do shit, you know? What you looking for me for, you know? And if I didn't, it was your mama they were looking for. They were talking about really. Yeah, they won't know if I knew him. I said, "Yeah, sir." I, I said, "Yes, sir." I know him. Just a little bit. I said, "I know him." <laughs> I said, "They kidding me." <laughs> I know him. Yeah, forty-something years, almost fifty. What did they ask about when they were here? I don't remember. That's been a while. Did they bring dogs here? No. 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 No dogs. Did he ever mention to you there was some body party out here? Something about a, there was a grave over there, but I don't know anything. You just stay out of it. My name Bennett and I ain't in it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't pay half attention to him. He ain't grown no tree wheelers or nothing like that in at least like 12 years. What, four wheels? No, we ain't. I don't know if it's mud or We drove them. So. What? Yeah, but everything's grown up since then. He's kind of yeah. yeah, but he just now mentioned something about it a few months ago. Right, I'm warning you before you oh, go. Okay. I guess because we kind of been talking and he kind of got his blanket. Well, I seen something look like a green rock back right here. Yeah. He saw it, he was tripping. But Mike's going to have to show us where it is. I don't know. He Mike don't didn't know, tell me where it is. He don't know where it is either. You know, they went out there tonight trying to find it. Couldn't find it. When you over here, then Yeah. Well, let's get in the house where it's cool. Okay. I'm going to go through the house. i got to drag out that paperwork real fast. Oh, man. It's hard to keep it dust here. Oh. 
nice. After Mike's, we returned to Glenn's house to take a look at Stacy's letters. I copied and mailed the letters to Glenn shortly after meeting him a month earlier, so he'd had plenty of time to study them. Glenn and Patricia looked at the same image, but didn't take each other's interpretations very seriously. And if we look right here, it's where I was standing on the mound. Right up in here. That's the office. This right here, instead of a trailer, is that building that they stored equipment under. Right there, remember we was looking at the fence? Mm -hmm. and you got that building there, it's just got a roof in the back side. Mm -hmm. That's just right here. And right back. Actually, if you, the way she drawed it, everything moves forward. Well, that's what I was Because that's where I was sitting right here. I was standing right here. She wrote the name of the road on it. You can see the, right? In the mound. You just got to put the upside down and you look at the... The mound's about right here. Right in the middle. And on the corner, there's another stack of rock. Remember, we walked around that mound. And there's the rock right there. Glenn isn't relying solely on Stacy's claims. He cited multiple incidents. One in a hotel room where Cody flipped out on the neighbors upstairs. But when he moved down there, I seen him throw two fits. Really major. I mean, I thought I had a temper. Because somebody was making noise upstairs, he jumps up out of bed on the end of the bed and starts hitting the bottom up the ceiling. Knock that damn noise off, you son of a bitch. I'll fucking kill you. Screaming bloody murder. Another hotel story when he says Cody avoided him. Most strange is the story when Cody screamed at his best friend Todd about not talking about Carrie. This is the one where he says only Jim knows what happened. And Cody conceded to Brian that they did attend a party at a guy named Jim's house. Cody says that was the last time that they ever saw each other. He also admits they got into a sort of fight over Cody's dancing with another woman named Cactus. Of course, nobody knew where Todd was or if Cactus had, you know, a real name. You know, It would probably be a little bit harder to believe. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But somebody, well, she you could tell by looking at her map, she was very intimate with that property. And yeah. uh, I do know she was in prison, but when she got out, she started asking about Carrie. Somebody had to have told her this. Did you notice something funny about this map? Well, I'm she's not actually, She's actually telling you something without saying it. That's where I was standing. Right there. What does it say? She scribbled it out. Like she wanted to go all the way down. And she scribbled it mm -hmm. not to go all the way down. That's interesting. And it's right where I was standing and you were standing. And it's starting to sink now on part of it. And when she actually drove me by the right here, she pointed right here. On she that side. Yes, she didn't point in the scrapyard part. We got actually about right there. 
when she said she's right there. She didn't say I think she might be there. She said she's right there. And she's not going to let her druggies out of the bag and yeah. sell them under. She's in either three spots. Here, here, or right there. And another, these people need to be exposed. Yeah. Because how many people have they done since, Terry? Mm -hmm. Maybe how many happened before that? And I'm going to tell you something. And I don't care what anybody thinks. If I could manage to get them to dig that place, to check all three lots, and they find something, you can guarantee that I'm going to bring Quinlan down, and I'm going to bring Hunt County down. I'm going to have the feds up in here. I'm going to have everybody up in here, and guess what? Shit's going to change here. And I'm moving east when all that happens. I'm going to make somebody come looking for me. I'll be right on over here with you. I'll be calm, Patty, but I'll come to your brother right now. Y'all get off. Bye, guys. Thank you. Love y'all. Y'all be good. Bye, George. See you soon. Bye. We're going to find out if this healthy ain't on this, man. Because I already know what I got for you. I think George probably got a few more years. I don't know. I feel like I'm losing him. <laughs> losing years of my life. <laughs> you go in there and chill. Probably need a nap. I'll get out. Nobody knew exactly when to throw in the towel, but Patricia and I eventually decided we had to get on the road. So we got into a truck and just sort of sat there for a minute. Well... What, if anything, have we accomplished all day? Wanna at least yeah. drive by and see if Mike's there? Yeah, I said might as well see if Mike's there and just be like, yo, Mike. Push yourself in the back of the head, snap back to it, and remember where the damn body was. How could this be forgettable? <laughs> really? That's honestly what they're saying. They forgot where a body was that they found. Who finds a body and forgets oh, about it? Oh, she said she didn't even know. Because she didn't ask. Why would you ask? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man, but that ain't the way it rolls with me. <laughs> Finally, Mike showed up. You want me back out? Yeah, like just point out the house and then we take it back. Oh, okay. So, Patty, is that good? Yeah. Because I don't know. Where's that baby at? She go back in now. No. Right here. Go in the yard. Now. <laughs> Tell her we'll be right back. We'll be right back. On the house. We'll be back. He agreed to take us to the site of the supposed body. However, it was getting dark, just like last time, and we spent more time talking to Mike about the body rather than searching for it. He explained how the property had changed hands and that it used to belong to someone named Terry. Yeah, it was right in the middle. An old man, I think, bought the land. An old man? The Mexican guy bought it. Oh. He might know where it's at. How's your Spanish? If little Joe ain't there, I can't talk to him. And he works every day. This old man lives right there. I think he bought that land right there. And that's where I think it's on that land right there. 
on that land right yep, there? Yep, turn right. He buys everything he sees, I think. Mm. We didn't go here, did we? Us? Yeah. No. It's middle center of that land. Behind the fence. So I have to do fence jumping? Huh? I have to do fence jumping? No. Oh, okay. No, you just go behind that property there. You could go in on the other side. Okay. There's a trail in there. All right. Just go in there and look around. I doubt whether you'll find it. But it's center of that property. That didn't freak you out when you saw it? One thing Patricia asked him right away is why he didn't tell the police about it before. Huh? It didn't freak you out when you seen it? Oh, well, I wasn't going to tell them about it because they'll be questioning me for five or six hours. Well, that's true. Saying, who'd you kill? Who's down there? Let's go dig it up, you know, and shit yeah. like that. His explanation made sense, but still. Hey, do you know if that Mexican dude, does he have a gun or anything? He seemed nice. Uh, little Joe he does, did. but he ain't going to pull it on you. Okay. I met him. Ain't nobody going to shoot you in there. <laughs> And we went off of them woods. Didn't nobody bother us. I heard somebody shoot a gun, yeah, didn't you? Say, I did hear someone <laughs> shoot a shotgun, but I don't think it was at us. Take a quick gander before I go on back home to Waco. Yeah, yeah. go look again. Yeah. Yeah. Quick, quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's where it was at. All right. Hey, we appreciate that. Probably yeah. take a pole. Yeah. Yeah. We got one. Poke in the ground where it's soft. That's where the body yeah. would be. Mm hmm 13 years now. I don't, I don't know if you'll find it or not. Well. Okay, well, I hope you find it. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Good seeing you again. Okay. Man, the way you talked about it was like it was so obvious, you know? Patricia and I eventually threw in the towel. She had a much longer drive ahead of her, all the way to Waco in Central Texas. But just as we were leaving, Ricky Moreland called. Hello? I'm coming out of the woods. He was willing to talk to Patricia, but not me. He also knew who I was, sort of, from messages I had left him in recent weeks. In any case, he wasn't interested in meeting me in person. And who you want me to talk to? It's me and a reporter from Commerce. They're going to run a story about Carrie being missing for 26 years. But Ricky knew I was with Patricia in the car. I passed along a few questions to Patricia, and she asked them for me. It was a pretty stupid setup. But to be honest, most of the questions came from her in the first place. She had a lot to ask him. I don't know what I can tell you that I had already told you. Well, can you tell me, can you tell me something about cactus? that she was an Indian chick and that she had gotten married and moved up north somewhere. No, 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 I didn't ever tell you that. 
Patricia and I had different priorities during the conversation. She was adamant that Ricky had told her in a recent conversation that Cactus had gotten married and moved up north somewhere. Ricky adamantly denied knowing who Cactus was. He said he hadn't seen Cody in years and outright denied talking to Patricia about Cactus in the first place. Patricia was convinced that Ricky was lying to her, but I eventually realized that she had been inadvertently putting words in Ricky's mouth. It was Cody who said Cactus got married and moved up north somewhere. Patricia learned that from the interview notes that Sergeant Jeff Haynes took during his interrogation of Cody. See episode 6 for more. You don't remember talking to me about a chick named, uh, Cactus. She... No. I never said nothing about no chick named Cactus. I don't know no chick named Cactus. Back in the day? No, not back in the day. I can... There's nothing I can remember that... Could help in any way. I, I don't know where Cody's at. I don't know what happened to Cody after that. And he went to prison for something. Um, I can't even remember exactly whether he was with her at the time or whether he was with Stacy at the time. Okay, let me ask you, are you do you know anybody named Jim Wilburn? Yeah, I used to. Can you tell me anything about that guy? He's dead, ain't he? Well, that's what I heard, but I don't know. That's about all I know about him. I guess that that's been 30 years ago, lady. Uh, I, I'm old. Oh, you ain't that old. I'm you, that old. You probably feel that old, but I don't think you're that old. I'm 48 years old. I'm 48 years old. I mean, 58 years old. Oh, okay. You got 10 years on me then. All right, all right. I'm just trying to find out a little bit about him because from what I understand, she might have had some contact with him at a party at a party or something. I don't know nothing about none of that. Well, I don't know nothing about it either. I'm going from scratch. And I'm, I I'm not... I'm, I'm not, so sorry. I'm not... I, I, if I could, it would, it would have been taken care of a long time ago. If there was any way that I could have found out anything, I promise you, it would have been taken care of. I loved Carrie. I, me and her got close when her and Leonard were together. And we were... I knew y'all were close back then. It's back then when your mom owned the laundromat in Quinlan. Seems like everybody's scared to talk to me about shit, man. You know, and 30 years have gone by, all kinds of people's done I, died. You know, ain't nobody I, gonna jump out the grave and get nobody. I, I understand. I just don't... I don't have any... I don't have any way of helping you. I, I, just, I don't. I figured that out when we talked last time. Yeah, but at that time, I don't think I asked about Jim. No, you didn't ask about Jim, but uh, I could find out what happened to him. Can you do? Uh, can you do that and let me know something? I mean, or do I just have to um, like think someone's going to do something for me and then don't do it? 
because that's pretty much how this whole thing's been turning out. I mean, I've spent the last seven years of my life digging and digging and digging, and I know somebody knows something. You know, this town is so small that everybody knows everybody's business, period. Everybody knows the drug people. Everybody knows who had a kid. Everybody knows who's died and how they died and, uh, you know, Leonard died nine months out, or I think it was eight months. It was November the same year as Carrie wound up, wound up missing. Doesn't anybody find that a little odd? Why? Why would that be odd? Well, it's just a coincidence. I mean, it's a real yeah. huge coincidence that Leonard and Carrie both are gone. I wanted to hear everything about any involvement he might have had in the incident Howard described to his grandchildren and Glenn. Was Ricky really one of the attackers? Are people actually buried at Mike's house? Patricia eventually asked him. Ricky flatly denied not only that he threatened Howard, but that he even told her that in a prior call. Did you know that Carrie, wasn't, Carrie was living with um, Vonda and Kent? No. Kent Cotton before she disappeared? No, I didn't know that. Do you know that? Do you living in trouble? I married your daddy. No, no, that was beforehand. And me and her had an argument, and then she took her stuff, left her kids at dad's, and took her stuff, and said uh, she was leaving. You know, you know how hot-headed she was. Yeah, well, I know. I didn't know y'all did that. Yeah. The last I've seen her, she was living in that travel trailer with your dad. Hmm. But you did go to you did you said you did everything to try to find out what she was where she or what happened to her where she was or whatever, and you went to my dad's right. Yeah, that's where I found out that she was missing. So what happened? You went to go find her at dad's. No, I went to your dad's to see her. Oh. And the travel trailer was empty. So did you see my dad? Yeah. I believe I did. Did he, was he mad or what did he? No. Yeah, he was mad that I was there. And said she didn't live there no more. Okay. And I don't know one. And I'm telling you, I'm, my memory just isn't what it used to be. I understand. Mine's not either. And I'm... But see, I didn't even know when she went to work out there at the class. I didn't know she had worked there until after I found out that she was missing. Oh, really? Because she had been working out there about a year. I know. And that's how long we've been since we've been around each other. Oh, okay. For some reason, I remember that our conversation was that you had went out there and um, told my dad that if he had anything to do with it, that you was going to make sure he paid. You don't no, remember that? No, I never did that. And I didn't say that either. All right. I guess I misunderstood. I guess, because I wouldn't say that. Even if I intended to do that, I wouldn't say that. Mm. Ricky did have some important information, though. Remember how I asked you to keep in the back of your head that Carrie's family believed she was last seen at work? Ricky seemed to confirm this, or at least that people believed she was last seen at work. He said that he even went to the filter factory in Terrell and asked about her there. I still say it had something to do with the Mexican. 
Who who's the Mexican that that you keep that you keep talking about? Because I'm not. I talked to a guy at the plant that she worked at. I went out there. Uh huh. And talked to one of the Mexicans that works there. Uh huh. About it, and he said two vatos disappeared last week. Also. Oh. And that was the extent of it. And. Ricky said that people there also told him about two Mexican guys. It's not clear if he was referring to Mexican nationals, but I'm assuming that these workers at the filter factory were from Mexico or South America. If they were undocumented, it's not inconceivable that family members would be afraid to report their loved ones missing. I don't speak Spanish, so I didn't really understand what he said or nothing, but... Right. He seemed to think that there was a reason that the two vatos disappeared, but I never found out who they were or anything about them because... There ain't no way to get them to tell you what their names are to start with. Right, and then you can't remember them. (laughs) I tried to get missing person records from the Terrell Police Department. The department responded that it doesn't keep missing person records filed that far back, and that the law doesn't require it. This is true, but other police agencies have responded with detailed information. The Terrell Police have been an exception to this rule in general. A clerk there once explained that the files are in unindexed boxes in storage, Basically that they have files from the past, but aren't in a hurry to organize them, so. Well, what about my, this is my favorite subject, actually. Uh, the wonderful Hunt County Quinlan Popos. Yeah. As, as you can tell, they're at the top of my list right now. Yeah. Um, it, how come your phone keeps beeping? I don't know. Uh, How were they back in the day? No, I'm asking. I'm asking. How were they back in the day? Were they some crooked people? Yeah, I think they're all crooked. Well, so do I. (laughs) So we're on the same page. Yeah, it just. I don't think they. I think. because Carrie didn't matter to him is the reason that they didn't die to get it. We're, we're low lives. It comes up, we got this, and we ain't that big a deal. Yeah, I know. I know, and it's bull crap. Somebody got what they deserved or some shit, you know? Because we had drug problems. Or and I don't believe that that's right. It's still not right to this day. Uh, Everybody always raves about how these heroes, popos are heroes and all that kind of bullshit when you know damn good and well. They got skeletons all up in their closet that I know about. Uh, and they get over, get over here and get celebrated. I know. I, I'm sorry I can't help you. Well, I appreciate you talking to me because I know you don't have to talk to me, you know, and a lot of people haven't talked to me, so uh, I'm not here. I'm not here to make no crap for nobody. I'm just trying to figure this out. That's all. Yeah, I'm too lucky to have you trying to figure it out. I I tried. It's a I don't know how you can possibly do it in thirty after thirty years, but I pray you do. It ain't been easy, trust me. Hmm. He told me, I don't know what he told me. 
Well, you mean last time? Yeah. What was different, remind me? He said he didn't say nothing about no um, cactus when he did. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to tell me nothing about her. Why would I make up that um, you said that she had done got married and went up north some dang where? Where would I get that from? Didn't you heard the name wrong or something? Cactus could be Kathy or Catherine. No, he heard. <laughs> on the way to Dallas, Patricia and I processed the day's events, and we started strategizing on what to do next. I often think back to this moment when I'm trying to remember how I got started down one path or another. We didn't find anything concrete that day, but it made clear where we were going next, and it led to concrete answers about many of the questions Carrie's family had been asking for three decades. Among them are her interactions with Quinlan and Hunt County law enforcement in the days before her disappearance. That's what I decided to focus on next, tracking down former police officers and people related to ones no longer living, including the constable, Cullen Smith, to whom Carrie's dad, Howard, claimed to have reported his daughter missing. But I also sought out current law enforcement, in particular the detectives investigating Carrie's case and Sarah Kinslow's. After some debate, which you can hear in episode 9, we decided to share the more pressing discoveries with law enforcement long before this podcast started. But that was a mistake. I did succeed in getting it to the Greenville Police Department detective investigating Sarah Kinslow's case a week after that. He met with me at Sarah's mother's request. I wasn't allowed to record that meeting, but I was fascinated by the detective's reaction. I started with the caveat that I realized how crazy this all sounds, but he stopped me and explained that it didn't sound crazy or far-fetched at all. Not to him. Not for Waco Bay. Finally, on July 24th, 2017, I was able to inform the detective investigating Carrie's case about both Mike's claims to know where a body was buried, as well as Ricky's claims about the so-called Mexicans who went missing at the same time as Carrie did from the filter factory in Terrell. Some 15 months later, that's about how much time passed before today, as I record this, neither Ricky nor Mike has been interviewed by law enforcement. I'm sure I would have heard about it from Mike, who didn't want to talk to police in the first place. And I would apologize to him, but come on, it's a body. As for Ricky, he was the only person left alive of the people involved in Howard Parker's supposed altercation that left one, two, or maybe even three people supposedly dead and supposedly buried on or near Mike's property across the street. Howard died in 2015, and Carl, the neighbor, passed away a decade sooner. Unless there's some other survivor nobody knows about, that left Ricky as the final witness to these incredible events. And even if they never happened, as he insisted that day to Patricia, his memory of a conversation at Carrie's workplace is crucial information. I haven't heard about these vatos anywhere else, and it's something law enforcement should know about, especially if there are two other missing people nobody's ever heard of. Ricky is a crucial witness to both events. He ties the cases together. But the Hunt County detectives aren't ever going to interview Ricky. I know this because Ricky's dead. If you knew him and you're learning this right now, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. I obviously didn't know him personally, but he sounded like a caring person on the phone that day in Waco Bay. And people who knew him say he did turn his life around for the better. I'm sure he'll be missed. But after 500 plus days of trying to find answers about Carrie Parker, I would be lying if I said I wasn't mostly sorry that the last surviving witness to whatever happened in Waco Bay, and at Carrie's workplace, took what he knew to the grave. But there's a separate reason this particular missed opportunity frustrates me more than the others I've mentioned in this podcast. It's because I know about something that Hunt County was doing instead of tracking down Ricky and investigating the leads he seemed to possess. For at least six of those 15 months that passed between me passing along Ricky's information and his death only weeks ago, the sheriff's office was busy. 
it was pouring resources into a different mission, one that could be described at best as a waste of time. It's one that redirected resources away from at least two other missing cases, including a man named Michael Chambers and a woman named Lisa Chandler. From the end of July 2017 until at least January 2018, the sheriff in Hunt County assigned the detective on those cases to spend at least part of his time investigating a different person. Me. I've been waiting a long time to tell you about what happened. So that's what I'm going to do on the next episode of Buried. Buried is produced by Emma Anderson and me. Its executive producer is Jared Knight. Brad Davis composed the original theme music. Our photographer is Brittany Greider, and podcast cover art is by Crystal Sid. For updates between episodes, follow Buried on Twitter at twitter.com slash buriedradio. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. For an always up-to-date list of episodes and more, go to ketr.org slash buried. And our email address is buried at ketr.org. You can also subscribe to Buried on the free NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to Laura Kinnamer, Christy Roundtree, Jeffrey L. Moore, and Rhonda McKeehan. Thanks also to the Public Information Officer at the Rockwall County Sheriff's Office. And thanks again to Daniel W. Ray, Susan Jinn, and Claudia Alvarado. Buried is a production of 88.9 KETR, public radio for Northeast Texas. To support Buried and other programming, go to ketr.org and click the red Donate button. And thanks. Thanks.